Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. So glad that you guys are all with me today. I want to talk to you for a little bit about the you that Jesus knows, who is very different than the you most of us know about ourselves. We're going to look today at part of the first chapter, Ephesians, that Paul wrote. And Paul was originally named Saul, of course. He was the top Jewish rabbi of his day. He studied under Gamaliel, who was the best Jewish rabbi, the number one, the top teacher. And then when Gamaliel died, Saul took over that position and was, you know, the most famous, most looked up to Jewish rabbi. He was the best educated of all of them. His background was unparalleled. And he himself said he was flawless as far as keeping the law, which is what the Pharisees were all about. I think he might have had a little bit of a high opinion of himself because it's impossible to keep the law, but he said he was flawless. He also said he was the greatest sinner of all. So the law, religion based on performance and then punishment or reward, was what the Jews were all about. And Saul was one of the leaders of the Jews, most likely in the Sanhedrin, the leading group of 70 or 72 people that functioned as their House of Representatives and Senate and Supreme Court, everything all rolled into one organization there. Now, he most likely had all of the Old Testament memorized. All of that, all of this pedigree, all of this background, all of this work and study and everything led him to be filled with rage and hate and judgment. He was, according to his own words, as I mentioned, was the chief sinner of the day. And he said that because he didn't believe in Jesus while his name was Saul. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. And he went about killing Christians and imprisoning them and costing them their livelihood. And he was in a fit of rage going after them for a period of time. And that's what religion will do to you. I'm not saying that those of us who aren't into religion don't sometimes get angry or lose our temper or whatever. But religion, law-keeping, tends to have an undercurrent of anger there. I think anger at ourselves because we can't keep the law, anger at God because things don't go our way and uh, we think he should make them go our way because we're doing our best to be good, that type of thing. But that's another issue. Saul was on his way to persecute a bunch of Christians. And you know the story. God appeared to him in a blazing light, knocked him off his horse. That blazing light was inside of him and it, it blinded him. And God was there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
Jesus said to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He knew that it was the Lord who was doing that. No human being could do that. And Jesus said, I'm Jesus. You know, I'm the one that uh, that you hate so much. And Saul was no dummy. He got it right away, and he said, uh-oh. All right, what do you want me to do? And then Jesus started teaching him. First thing that God did was to reveal to Saul that Jesus had been in him from the beginning of time. That was pretty amazing. Nobody up until that time in history ever had any concept of that. Didn't even have any concept of God being in them. They thought the Holy Spirit came to visit from time to time and would be upon them, but certainly not in them. And they all thought that God, like any religion, every religion, thought that God was distant, aloof, keeping a a list of their wrongs, watching them like a hawk and just waiting to catch them do something wrong and then make a list of it and punish them now and punish them later because of that. Well, Jesus revealed to Paul that he was nothing like that, nothing like that. Jesus took Paul to the Arabian Desert and taught him personally for some 13 years. Now, we don't know if Jesus was there in person, if he came back to earth and was there in person, or if he taught him from inside of himself. More likely that he taught him from inside because Paul wrote about the spirit of Christ being in us and teaching us and us having the teacher in us and things like that. But more important than that, to me anyway, was something the Lord showed me just recently about, uh, we, we know the passage that God took Paul up to, he called it the third heaven. Now, we know now that heaven is inside of us. That's where the kingdom of God is. Jesus told us, he said, the kingdom of God is in you. And we know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in us in the unseen and eternal realm. And that's where the kingdom of God is. That's where the kingdom of heaven is right now. Now, I want you to get this. This this is what God showed me this week. Up until that point, Paul, being a Jew and having to be totally reprogrammed, uh, reconstruct his whole way of thinking, still thought God and salvation was only for the Jews. God took him up to, we'll say up to, took him to heaven into the unseen and eternal realm, and there he saw Judas, all kinds of Gentiles, anybody who ever lived. That's where Paul got his understanding that all were in Christ and Christ was in all and that there was no Jew or Gentile or barbarian or Scythian or free or slave or men or women, that everybody was included in God's kingdom. That's where he got that. He saw that when Jesus took him there into that realm and showed him that. That's why he's the one of all the writers in the New Testament. Now, there there are only 27 books in the New Testament, and Paul wrote 21 of them. He's the only one of them that uses the phrase, or at least that uses it so many times, like I think 164 times, in Christ or Christ in us. John does quote Jesus 
at times, Jesus saying, like, for example, in John 14, 20, Jesus said, on that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, and my Father's in me, and we are in you. And in those four chapters of John 13 to 17, there are some times there where Jesus talks about oneness and union and Christ being in us and that type of stuff. Other than that, primarily, Paul was the one who was the apostle of grace, was the apostle of Christ in you, the hope of glory, and taught us these things. So he's the one that experienced that. Now, here's what he did. Of course, it absolutely changed his life. It took away his uh, anger and his hate. I'm not saying that he never got angry after that, but he obviously he was a changed person. And so he went about telling everybody he possibly could about that, primarily Gentiles, because God sent him to the Gentiles. He sent Peter and John to the Jews. And so their their writings, Peter and John's writings, are more to Jews. Of course, James is too, and the writer of Hebrews, which may have been Paul. But those writings were to Jewish people, and it's a different kind of writing because they were like a transition generation, people who had been after the law and were just totally ensconced in Judaism. While Paul went to the Gentiles, who were either people who had no religion, which I don't know if there was anybody like that, but primarily the people that worshipped other false gods. So at any rate, Paul goes and starts all these churches in places where people had never heard of Jesus. And then he writes letters to many of them. Sometimes he writes like the letter of Galatians is to really to a whole group of churches that were in an area called Galatia. Uh, But there's one in Ephesus, was a church in the city of Ephesus. And I want to give you a couple of things that, first of all, that Jesus said in John chapter 16, that passage before the night before he died, and another thing that Paul wrote, and then we'll start in Ephesians 1. And remember, this is all about the you that Jesus knows, which unfortunately is vastly different and way better than the you that we know. And Paul is all about helping us see the we that Jesus knows. So here's John 16:10. Jesus, the night before he died, said this in the mirror translation. He says, In this union with you, Father, the great companion will also convince the world of righteousness, because in my disappearing out of sight to be face-to-face with the Father, the spirit of truth will interpret the conclusion of my mission, which is mankind's association in me and their freedom, redeemed innocence. The intimate union with my father that I displayed while present with you in my physical body will now be made visible in you. So Jesus is saying the conclusion of his mission is mankind's association in Christ, who we all are in Christ, and that we are innocent, and we are one with the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We have this intimate union. Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, starting with verse 8, we're going to go a few verses, Paul writes this, and he's quoting Isaiah here. He says, things never discovered or heard of before, things beyond our ability to imagine, or things that entered our heart. These are the many things God has in store for all his lovers. God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. Or other translations say, God has provided us with a revelation through the Spirit. He has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit, who constantly explores all things, 
After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. We learn about God. We communicate with God through the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit reveals words written about God, as in Scripture. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, which is Christ in us, speaks to us directly because, as John said in John 1, Jesus is the Word of God. The Word of God is not Scripture. The Word of God is not words written by mankind about us. John tells us very plainly in the first chapter of John that the Word of God, capital W, is Jesus, the living Word of God. Paul writes that the word of God, Jesus, he, he says, is active and cuts to the very quick of our bones and marrow and spirit and all of that kind of stuff. Paul goes on to say, we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but we received the spirit of God so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. And we articulate these realities with the words imparted to us by the spirit, not with the words taught by human wisdom. We join together spirit-revealed truths with spirit-revealed words, or we interpret spiritual truths by spiritual faculties. goes on to say, someone living on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's spirit, for they make no sense to him. He can't understand the revelation of the spirit because they're only discovered by the illumination of the spirit. Those who live in the Spirit are able to carefully evaluate all things, and they are subject to the scrutiny of no one but God. Now, that phrase there, someone living on an entirely human level, rejects the revelations of God's Spirit. As long as we hold on to what we've been taught by the world's doctrinal system of darkness about a God that's distant, aloof, list-keeping, doesn't like us, can't stand to be around us, is totally displeased with us, that we have to do some sort of transaction to get right with him and then keep on doing certain things to stay right with him. And there are things that we can do to lose our right standing with him, including some unforgivable sin that we don't know what is, but we got to watch out and not do that, even though we don't know what it is. Someone who wants to hang on to those things is somebody who's living on an entirely human level, and Paul says they reject the revelation of God's Spirit. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in us is continually woo us to God, continually show us that, no, God is not like that, and reveal to us what God is really like. And then at some point in time, hopefully here in this life, but if not afterwards, at some point in time, we will all get that. Something will go, ah, I get it. Now I'm going to start listening to what the Holy Spirit in me says, and I'm willing to explore and listen and confess, which means to say the same thing as, believe the same thing as what God says about me, rather than what religion says about me or what I happen to say about myself. Now, this is a little sidebar, but it's very important to know. There are some translations that translate this passage saying, those people without the Spirit of God can't understand the Spirit. That is a travesty of a translation. It does not say that at all. Everyone has the Spirit of God. 
some religious people don't believe that and don't want you to know that and don't want you to think that because they think they're privileged and only those who do what they do have the Spirit of God living in them. Now, don't believe that. Don't believe that. Every single person has the Spirit of God living in them. Paul saw that when Jesus took him to the unseen, eternal world, to heaven, the kingdom of God. He wrote, there's no Gentile, there's no Jew, there's no everybody. God is in everyone. And Paul has his alls of Paul and the uh, much more thans of Paul. And he goes to great lengths to tell us that God is in all and for all and works through all of us and has always been in us. And part of what we're going to learn about that is in this very first chapter of Ephesians. I'm not going to get clear through it. We'll get through the rest of it next week, but just want to do part of it today to show you the you that Jesus knows, as opposed to the you that you probably think you are, or the you that other people think you are, or the you certainly that religion tells you you are. So there is a you that is the real you, and that is the you that Jesus knows and relates to and is in and communicates with and will be with forever. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, when that started, verse 1, I, Paul, employed by the delightful resolve of God and commissioned to represent Jesus Christ to the saints in Ephesus and also to every believer in Christ Jesus, I, Paul, am the one writing this, saints, in Ephesus, and to every believer everywhere. The you that Jesus knows is a saint. You can take your name and put saint in front of it. I can take my name and say Saint Paul. You can take your name and say Saint Margaret, or Saint James, or Saint Jerry, or Saint Sharon, whatever your name is. You are a saint. The word saint comes from the Greek word hagias, which means to be set apart for God. Now, we don't set ourselves apart for God. God set us apart for God. When? Was it when we said the prayer? No. Was it when we took the confirmation class and had our first communion? No. Was it when we asked Jesus to come into our heart? No. When did God set us apart and make us a saint? We're going to see. Verse 2, Paul says, I greet you with the grace and peace that proceed from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts almost every one of his books of the Bible, which were letters to begin with, with grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And he goes on to include the Holy Spirit at some point in time. God sees you as God, Jesus knows you, as someone who is set apart for him and who already has his grace and peace. Verse 3, let's celebrate God. He lavished every blessing heaven has upon us in Christ. Now, that's the you that Jesus knows, the person whom God lavished every blessing heaven has upon you in Christ. 
lavished, abundant, superabundant, more than you can ever use. God, that's past tense, God already lavished every blessing heaven has upon you in Christ. When did he do that? When you said the magic prayer? No. When you asked Jesus into your heart? No. When you were baptized? No. When you did your confirmation class and had your first communion? No. When you started speaking in tongues? No. Paul tells us in the next verse, Ephesians 4, God associated us in Christ before the fall of the world, where it can be translated before the foundation of the world, where it can be translated before the beginning of time or before creation. God associated us, put us in Christ and lavished every single blessing heaven has upon us and set us apart for him before creation. We all existed as spirit beings before anything was spoken into creation. God showed that to the Apostle Paul who wrote this. He was the first person who ever understood it. And he writes that to us, not only in Ephesians, but Colossians and other places. That's who Jesus knows. The person, spirit being, that was created by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created before creation, before the foundation of the world, before Adam and Eve's fall, created in grace and peace, set apart from God, lavished every single blessing heaven has upon you. That's who Jesus knows. That's who you are at the core of your being. Jesus is God's mind made up about us. He always knew in his love that he would present us again where we go after we take our last breath here and maybe before that. He always knew he would present us again face to face before him in blameless innocence. The implications of the fall are completely canceled. Just like Eve, we were all deceived to believe a lie about ourselves, which is the fruit of the I am not tree. I'm reading from the mirror translation here. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. God found us in Christ before he lost us in Adam. We are presented in blameless innocence before him right now, face to face, the closest possible proximity. Francois goes on to say in the mirror, your in-Christedness is not the result of a lucky draw. Calvinism lied to you. Neither is it the result of your choice to follow Jesus, Arminianism. Something doesn't become true by popular vote or by our beliefs. If it wasn't true to begin with, we're wasting our time trying to believe it true. Faith happens to you when you encounter the good announcement, the good news of God's doing that we are all in Christ. And then he quotes 1 Corinthians 1.30, that it's by God's doing we are in Christ. And then he says this, for evangelical theology to miss the meaning of mankind's inclusion in Christ before they knew it or believed it is to completely miss the point of the death, descent into hell, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. This would make Jesus irrelevant and reduce the salvation of the human race 
to their own fate managed by institutional religion, saying the prayer, asking Jesus into your heart, being baptized, being confirmed, taking communion or whatever, attaching mere sentimental value to a historic Jesus who died and rose again. By dying our death as fully God and fully man, once and for all, not for a select few, death became the doorway whereby Jesus would enter into our hell and deepest darkness and sense of lostness and loneliness as a result of the lies we believed about ourselves to triumphantly lead us out as his trophies and relate us face-to-face with the Father of the universe. Those are just the first four verses of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Friends, the you that Jesus knows is the you that Jesus created before he created anything else in his image, in his likeness, pure, perfect, without fault, set apart, totally included, and a whole bunch of other things that we're going to see next week and after that. That's the you that Jesus knows. The you that Jesus knows is without fault, without sin, perfect. That's who Jesus knows. And Jesus wants you to know that you, who you really are. And that's what he's all about. That's what the Holy Spirit and Papa are all about now. That's what we're all about in our ministry, helping us see the light the light that John says Jesus was and came into the earth to illuminate every person. And the Holy Spirit of Christ is doing that right now, and people all over the world are coming to understand this. Hey, I I hope this is encouraging to you and a blessing to you. It certainly is to me, and I appreciate having the opportunity to share these things with you. If you haven't already, whether you're listening on a podcast or watching on YouTube, if you would, hit like Or if you don't like it, you know, say so and say uh, what you don't like about it and be a part of the group that we're in. When you subscribe, those things drive up the algorithm when somebody searches online for inclusion or grace or oneness with God, that type of thing, the things that, that, uh, that we talk about. So I'd really appreciate that if you all would do that. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching other times. And I'll see you all the next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.